talent is distributed fairly uniformly, but opportunity is not. Hello, and welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Igor Tolchinsky, the founder, chairman, and chief executive officer of investment firm WorldQuant. He'll explain why he founded a nonprofit digital university to upskill people around the world into sought-after data careers, and why leaders need to learn to challenge themselves and experiment. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. Data is growing exponentially, but people are really not uh, growing exponentially. Igor Tolchinsky is the founder of WorldQuant, a quantitative investment firm that uses data and technology to develop financial strategies. The firm was founded in 2007 and has grown to more than 23 offices in 14 countries since. In this fast-changing world, Igor is focused on harnessing the latest technologies for the best forecasts and insights, but he's also focused on modernizing talent pools and ensuring that there's no shortage of people with high-level quantitative and data-driven skills who can keep pace with innovation. To that end, he founded the nonprofit WorldQuant University, which offers a tuition-free financial engineering master's. This degree sits at the intersection of finance and data science and develops a specialized skill set, one that draws from fields like calculus, economic theory, computer science. Students with this multidisciplinary training learn how to analyze data and model markets, sure, but they also learn how to solve problems using machine learning and by designing financial programs that leverage distributed ledger technologies. These students learn how to work across finance and tech, a capability that will be more and more critical as the finance sector evolves. While it bridges skill gaps and collaboration gaps, this training also preps students living anywhere in the world for well-paying, in-demand jobs, helping Igor in his aim to, as he puts it, bring opportunity to the smartest people around the globe. Igor talked to Meet the Leader about a range of topics, including how he sees his staff as a band of explorers and the need for leaders to embrace experimentation. You never know what comes up. When you test the limits, you, you find out it's not really a limit. He also shared the two principles he lives by and the book he recommends that helps him be a better leader to his team. You'll hear all about this and more, but first, We'll start with the importance of bridging the data skills gap. Data is growing exponentially, but people are really not uh, growing exponentially. So there, there, there's a misalignment between uh, what, what's, what's available out there and how, how quickly we can uh, generate people uh, and train people with the, with the right skill sets. We hire all kinds of people. We hire mathematicians, uh, physics, uh, and so on, but they they tend to come from uh, from hard sciences. Of course, a technical skill set is a, a prerequisite, but also uh, it's very important to have uh, cre- creativity, drive, tenacity, and a certain degree of uh, belief in in what we're doing. I have to point out that uh, the the big data is kind of a somewhat dated term. Now, uh, now it's really about the algorithms. It's not really so, so much 
important uh, how much data you have, but uh, what you're doing with it. And that, that's directly connected to, to the number of algorithms, which is connected to people and connected to machines. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about WorldQuant University, how it was founded and how it's looking to bridge this training gap in data? Well, it evolved kind of incrementally. So initially, we, we, we uh, did scholarships all over the world because uh, education uh, keeps generating returns. Then I saw that, you know, the world is evolving. The amount of information in the world is, is getting bigger and bigger. And that the education system is uh, fairly uh, static and uh, it, it, it hasn't changed that much in, in the last 50, even 100 years. So I wanted to create a university that will serve as a large number of people at a fraction of a cost and uh, at the same time be uh, global and reach people that otherwise uh, would not be able to do this. Now we have a master's in financial engineering program. It has about 600 uh, graduates and we also happen to be the largest master's of financial engineering program uh, in the world. And we just uh, we just received the uh, accreditation. So it's uh, really uh, progressing wonderfully. And why is this such an important way to tackle this problem? Because there's uh, so much talent everywhere around the world. Talent is distributed fairly uniformly everywhere, but opportunity is not. So we want to match up the, the talent with a with opportunity so how 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 can all these people uh receive a, a good education like except uh, through an online in, institution also the the field and fields are evolving uh, so quickly how else is it possible to uh keep up except through a well-developed electronic platform that's delivered everywhere is there a quality that distinguishes people in this field that might not be obvious to people outside of it like a tell, a way you recognize your own? I think it's a desire for exploration. Some people like to explore, and of course you, you can explore physical things, but you can also explore data. You can look for information inside the data and uh, have this uh, desire to, uh, to create and to always uh, evolve and go one step uh, further. So it, it attracts, I would say, uh, quantitative adventures. So today it's uh, more common for people to be seeking out online education or even foregoing uh, degrees for certifications, but that wasn't so common even a few years ago in 2015. Can you talk about the sort of obstacles that you faced while you were building this, uh, the things that stood in your way? At, at the time, it was kind of a disruptive uh, idea. So you had to persuade everybody that it could work, uh, including the students, where we had to you know, get a good body of students. We had to uh, persuade them to stay the course because the course is uh, difficult, but it's it's very easy uh, to sign up and then, then just quit. And we 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 didn't want that uh, to happen. Getting accreditation was not simple either. It, it, it took a number of years, a rigorous uh, process, and, and, and commitments. But I think it was uh, an idea a little bit uh, ahead of its time. And now, now it's kind of obvious that uh, this is the way it's going to, to be. You mentioned you needed to modify the program to make it stickier. How did you change it? What we did is uh, we gave people an opportunity to take one class before they officially signed up. 
to see if uh, you know there there is enough interest and, and enough determination to uh, follow through with the rest of it. That, among some uh, other things, uh, improving the program, getting uh, feedback from students, redoing the technology a, cu- a couple of times, uh, it's helped us uh, move forward. Do you think we've taken for granted that education has to walk and talk in a certain way? We haven't allowed enough for experimentation? Traditionally, universities are quite uh, large entities and it's, it's not simple uh, to, to start one, so uh, they, they, they would uh, evolve. But also the, the knowledge was not evolving at such a high rate as, as it's evolving today. So, so maybe uh, the model was uh, suitable for the time, but it's, it's not going to be suitable when, uh, when the knowledge is growing uh, exponentially. What's possible should we bridge that skills gap in data? What is the thing we could look forward to? There will always be a need to reskill. There will always be new new information coming in at faster and faster rates. What I would like to do is I would like to almost automate as much as possible the generation of the class itself. For example, uh, you think of, uh, okay, stochastic optimization. You type it in, and uh, you know the the AI looks all over the web to, to, to see what's available, digests it the the, way, the best it can, puts it together, puts a testing module after it, and then it goes to a, to a human person. But this this is a largely automated way of generating classes and content that I see happening in the future because there, there there's simply no way to, to keep up with uh, all the innovations. That are so with real-time course development, uh, when do you think this could be a reality for education? I think 10 years in the future. Things are moving, uh, everything's moving faster and faster. And why is that so important? Why do we need to ensure that our training systems can keep pace with innovation? Because if you have knowledge and nobody knows it, it's not useful. People have to know it. So, so you, have to, you have to have systems for making the knowledge uh, accessible to, to people and making people uh, evolve and feel useful. People want to have meaningful lives and, and meaningful uh, careers. So uh, if you give them a, a way to continuously evolve, I think it's good for everybody. And what does that impact to economies when people have that access to well-paying jobs? I, I think it would be a very positive uh, impact to, uh, to such uh, regions. We have seen in the last year that uh, work from home works for many, many uh, different companies. There's no reason for companies to be geographically uh, concentrated anymore. So uh, there, there are all these uh, untapped uh, masses of people uh, all around the world, and uh, the impact will, will be very good for everybody. What gets you excited about this? It's been in place for a while, but what gets you excited about the opportunity that comes with WorldQuant University? It's just exciting to take part in, in, in something uh, that's exponentially uh, changing. And it's always uh, a pleasure to, to, to receive a letter from uh, a student, you know, expressing how, how happy they are and how much value the program has uh, provided to them. That gets me uh, very excited. There are stories uh, of people we have uh, reached, you know, farmers in uh, China and grandmothers in, in, in Siberia who have been uh, unable before to pursue their dreams. You know, uh, people's lives evolve in a funny way. I recall this uh, guy in China had a bachelor's in uh, engineering. He had to uh, go work in a farm 
And, and now with the Wolfpunch University, uh, he, he can get a master's degree. And subsequently, uh, with the work at home, he can get a job. And it's stories like these that are going to become commonplace rather than exceptional. When you were founding World Quant University, when people were saying to you, it's not going to work, people aren't going to accept it, you'll never get accreditation, what trait did you depend on most that you wouldn't have been able to work without? I follow two principles. One is that obstacles are nothing more than just information. You try to do something, you, you see what can't be done. It's not a psychological attack. It's, it's, it's just data showing you what else you need to do to get there. Every endeavor has obstacles. It's normal and, uh, and actually they're, they're very valuable because that's, that, that's how you learn. That, that's number one. And number two is a very simple principle. Just uh, finish what you start. If you can just apply that principle to, to everything uh, you do, it works very well. So uh, really it, it's about uh, building stamina and uh, finishing tasks to, to, to completion. I remember when I was uh, 12 years old, my parents uh, sent me to a private school on a, on a scholarship and, and uh, it was required that everybody go on a cross-country team and eventually run uh, 13, 14 uh, miles. And to me, as a 12-year-old, as a it seemed like a horrible thing that I, I would have to do at the time. But like anything, you, you, you persist and, and, and you do it. So it's the same, uh, it's the same process. You kind of learn to, uh, to drive yourself, to, to persist, uh, not give up. And uh, that's really all there is to it. Uh, the rest is common sense. Without WorldQuant University, how would the world be different? There would be uh, 600 less people with degrees. There'd be uh, thousands uh, of people who would not be able to, uh, to attend a university. And uh, the further out you'll go in time, the greater the effects are going to be. It wasn't so many years ago that uh, we had our first uh, class of graduates. But with time, education uh, reaps benefits forever. So it takes a lot to build something from scratch. Was there an experience in your life that prepared you for this? I think uh, everybody has uh, a number of transformational uh, experiences that kind of open uh, your eyes. Uh, for me, you know, immigrating from the Soviet Union when I was uh, 10 years old, and uh, it gives you a sense that uh, whatever comes your way, you can handle it. Just go through it and uh, it'll work out. You said something interesting earlier, that there are no obstacles, just information. And with that, of course, there's no failure. There's just results. Can you talk a little bit more about that, that everything is an experiment? It's very important not to see anything as, uh, as final. You know, I try to cultivate a mindset where every day, you know, uh, things come at me. I handle each one. I move on to the next one. And, uh, and that's it, no matter what it is. Is there a book that you swear by? Something that you always recommend? There is a book that uh, General Stanley McChrystal just wrote uh, called uh, Control, a user's manual for risk, which... Uh, drives home a very interesting point. And the point is that the biggest risk is actually ourselves. You can learn whatever, whatever. You can take uh, all the precautions in the world, but it's usually when things go wrong, it's because people mismanage themselves and they don't take into account their own uh, flaws and uh, imperfections. It's a very good book. 
And after someone reads this, uh, what do you think they'll change about themselves? They'll become more aware of uh, biases and uh, irrational things that people constantly do. Having read this, is there a trait or a tendency of your own that you thought, gosh, I should watch out for this? Yes, it, it made me uh, think about myself. And I think I uh, tend to be a little bit uh, too optimistic sometimes. It's okay to be optimistic, but you, you must be cognizant of the fact that you are and uh, what to do if uh, what you hope for doesn't happen. You see social capital as a multiplier for leaders. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and how leaders can make the most of it? Social capital, the way I think of it is, uh, if, if, if you have a company, it, it has people, uh, they, they can be very great people, but how they're interconnected and, and how they interact and in what ways they interact really uh, determines how well the organization is going to function as a, as a whole. You can, you can think of it kind of like a, as a living organism with a neurons, or you can think of it as a, a, as a computer. And it's, it, it, it's these interconnections that must be managed uh, all the time. And, uh, you know, typically this would uh, happen uh, kind of implicitly with people uh, meeting in offices, forming uh, relationships. But now, with, uh, with everybody working from home, you have to think about what are the important connections and you have to uh, keep, keep these connections alive. You can have uh, events, you can have competitions, prizes, and just talking to uh, these people all the time. But ultimately, that's what makes the company exactly this. And how do you do this? How do you put this in place so you have those interactions? Yes, it's, uh, it, I figure out what's needed and, and then it's uh, scheduled uh, usually on a recurring basis. And, and I have a whole uh, you know, recurring calendar uh, every day, uh, Zoom after Zoom after Zoom, keeping, uh, keeping the connections uh, hot. And are those connections with core team members? Who are you connecting with? I think there are more recurring connections on the, on the core team, but really the connections are uh, with everybody. And from time to time, uh, there's a meeting with everybody, either by themselves or, or in some kind of uh, a group. And uh, additionally, every two weeks, we have a giant uh, meeting where the whole company meets. And why is it so important to have that all-hands meeting every two weeks? It improves the connections. It uh, improves the information flow. It uh, increases uh, alignment and uh, keeps, uh, keeps people engaged. You know, as, as a leader, my, my job is uh, to keep people engaged in a way and, and keep them uh, interested in, uh, in what they're doing. And in those meetings, what do you do to facilitate the conversation to, to keep people engaged? It's always a good idea to test limits. You, you create some idea that's a little bit uh, beyond the limits and then and you try to push that idea through and, and, and you see you see what happens. What are, what are the resistance points? What do you get back? And this, this always uh, gets everybody pretty engaged. For example, I may come in and I'd, uh, say that uh, I want to uh, reorganize this, uh, a certain group or change the way they do things or, or, or there, there might be a, a formula that's central to, to the company and I, uh, I propose a new formula. And uh, the idea is to... Uh, Test the limits, and you never know what comes out. Often when you test the limits, you, you, you find out that it's, it's not really a limit. 
And so if you didn't pose those questions or spark those debates, there would just be fewer opportunities to evolve. It would be more on autopilot. The leader should be constantly thinking about uh, the limits and, and uh, trying to uh, change the limits, always uh, probing and always changing. If you finish the day and uh, you're not tired and you didn't get stressed a little bit, then uh, you may be an autopilot. That was Igor Tolchinsky. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented by me, Linda Lacina, with studio production by Gareth Nolan. Thanks go out to this week's guest, Igor Tolchinsky, and to you for listening. Please take a moment to rate and review our podcasts. And for more extensive Q&As from our guests, go online to wef.ch slash podcasts. And follow us online on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and on Twitter using the handle WEF. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day. <laughs>